This morning's reading is taken from John chapter 12 on page 1079. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey colt. At first, his disciple did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Um, This is taken from Zechariah 9, 9-12 on page 955. The coming of Zion's king. Rejoice greatly. Oh, sorry. Um, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and victorious. Lowly and, and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the all ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my convent, With you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I will restore twice as much to you.
Thank you, Sue and Max, for reading for us there. Um, just to say before I start this morning that if you get really, really bored, any of you, really, um, there are some worksheets over on the side there with some puzzles and things on and some pens. So if you feel the need, do, do make your way over there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day, a day of celebration. We just invite your Holy Spirit now to fill our hearts and minds and teach us something more of yourself. Amen. Amen. So, I wonder if you have ever found yourself in a crowd. Have you? Perhaps you were at a football match or maybe you were sales shopping. There's a brutal crowd for you. Maybe you were at a gig or at the races. Maybe you were watching the bath half the other week. Maybe you were running the bath half the other week. Where were you when you were last in a big crowd? What were you doing? Can you remember what it felt like? What were the sounds and smells? Take a moment to tell your neighbor about it. What was the last big crowd you were in? Lots of smiling faces around there. Crowds are often happy, aren't they? Would you like to shout out where it was you were? Sorry? Twickenham, yes. Yes, I, I had a member of my family at Twickenham. Wembley, lots of sporting occasions. Any other kinds of crowds going on? Christmas, oh yes. Yeah, oh, I'm wincing, I didn't like that. Any others? Concerts, okay. Right, okay, because in a church or a school, we mostly sit in rows, don't we? And we move about a few at a time so as not to alarm anybody or squish any small people. We leave assembly when we're told to, and we go up to a communion one at a time, all in turn. It's all very British and orderly, isn't it? But a crowd, now a crowd is different, isn't it? A crowd doesn't behave like that. What words describe a crowd do you think do you want to shout out a few words what words bustling, bustling yes somebody did you say nice or noisy 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 a mob yes now that's a different kind of crowd isn't it colorful yes jostling so there's a lot of movement a lot of noise kind of random aren't they sometimes of course, it depends whether you're outside or in, but often being in a crowd can be quite a hot experience, can't it? People crush in on you. Sometimes you get swept along where you didn't really mean to go as the crowd moves forwards and you get taken along in, in, in that big mass of people. If you're tall, you might not mind very much, but if you're not so very so, uh, you might not get a very good view, might you not? Unless you're right at the front, of course. 
It can feel a bit frightening if you weren't expecting it, but it also can be exciting to feel that you're part of something that's bigger than you. Sometimes you feel that you're taking part in history and you will have a big story to tell your friends and your family later on, probably for days and weeks to come. Someone in my family did go to Twickenham yesterday and he had lots to say about it when he got home. Some 60,000 people from Bath all travelled to London to watch their favourite rugby team play. Did you know that? They were in very, very high spirits when they got home. Crowds can often be exciting things, can't they? People in crowds are often there to support something or someone. People shout and sing their support. Sometimes, in a political gathering, there are banners with slogans on. We see them on the news from time to time, and the mood of that kind of crowd can be angry, with angry words and angry slogans. But many crowds are joyful, like when the winning football team from the World Cup arrives home and they're greeted with crowds in their home country who want to celebrate with them and share their joy. At concerts like Glastonbury, people jump up and down with delight at being so close to their favourite bands. And they press forward to get a better view, don't they? Today, our Bible reading tells us about a crowd that happened 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. People were gathering to celebrate the Jewish festival of the Passover when the Jews remember God saving his people. This term, we've been talking about encounters with Jesus, so I thought that we would look at this story and see who Jesus encountered on his journey into Jerusalem. We'll focus on three groups today. We've got, um, well, the donkey. I think he's fairly important. We've got the disciples and a huge crowd. I did try to find a word beginning with D, um, but I found, I found 15 synonyms, but none of them began with D, so I'm very sorry. I failed there, but I'll give you a prize if you can get a really good D word to begin with. Well, okay. Okay, yes, that is true. That is true. Well done. An English word. <laughs> Excellent. So, the first one. The Gospels tell us that Jesus had travelled with his disciples from the north. Have we got... Is that going to work? Excellent. I've got a map. He had just headed... Um, healed, sorry, two men. He restored their sight and he'd met Zacchaeus who was spiritually blind. Jesus had restored his life, too, to the way it was intended to be. So he's coming towards the end of this long journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem. It's a little bit tiny to see up there, isn't it? Galilee is the lake right at the top, and then right in the middle, you can see a red star. That's Jerusalem. So that's actually quite a long journey. Google Maps tells me it would take 31 hours to walk if you went flat out. So in our story today, we join him in Bethpage, which is a sort of suburb of Jerusalem, separated from the city itself by the Kidron Valley. So a bit like going from Bristol to Bath through Kensham, that sort of distance away. 
there would have been hordes of people making the same journey for the Jewish feast of the Passover. In fact, relatively uh, contemporary census material tells us that a quarter of a million lambs were sacrificed for the festival. One for every 10 pilgrims. The city, therefore, was brim full of people, and I suppose animals, who had come with high religious expectations to celebrate a festival of immense importance to every Jew. Now, as a people, they're quite unhappy. They're under occupation from the Romans, and they long for God to give them once again the deliverance that this celebration recalls from a previous season in their history. Now, Jesus had walked every step of the way so far. This is the only occasion in the Gospels when he's recorded as not being on foot. So we can reasonably ask ourselves, why did he feel the need of a donkey now? Jesus is not just being swept along with the crowd and its enthusiasms. Sending for these donkeys is an intentional action. In a simple yet profound turn of events, Jesus is acting out his message. Like Jeremiah and other prophets before him, when people simply won't listen to his words, Jesus acts out the message he wants to convey. He reminds the crowd in this way of the prophecy from Zechariah, which Max read for us so beautifully. Now, Zechariah is a tiny prophetic book at the end of the Old Testament, which declares to Jerusalem that her king will arrive, bringing salvation, yet riding on the foal of a donkey. They're pathetic little things, really, aren't they? Not grand at all. Without uttering a single word, Jesus is presenting himself as the king of the Jews. Different kings down the years have marked their reign in different ways. 200 years or so before Jesus, Judas Maccabeus, a Jewish military leader, had entered the city of Jerusalem to shouts from the Psalms and public acclaim. His reign was marked by violence and physical power. But perhaps that's what you might expect from a Messiah, a savior, a display of power and influence. Surely Jerusalem needed a strong leader. A thousand years before, Jerusalem had been the city from which King David reigned. And the Jews had been praying for just such another king like him for at least half of that intervening time. Jesus, however, is a king with a different agenda. Unlike Judas Maccabeus or any king that followed, there is a borrowed donkey in place of a team of great war horses. And that speaks of humility instead of earthly power. Peace instead of conflict. He's not giving away gold coins or treasure to please the crowd as the Roman empress sometimes did. But he's willing instead to shed his own precious blood. 
in spite of the air of carnival and celebration of a homecoming king that we have today in our reading. In a few short days, the same people will be calling for his death. He's not processing away from battle in glory. He's humbly progressing towards it. He's not trailing captives in his wake, but rather getting ready to set them free. Yes, Jesus is a king with a very different agenda, and the crowd is stirred to ask, who is this man? So, the donkey symbolizes a life of peace and humility. When we choose to live our lives as servants, not proving our own power, but rather serving others, then we are truly living well as Christians, living the way that Jesus showed us. I wonder what that would look like in your life. Who might you choose to serve, even though you don't have to, in order to bring glory to God? The second group of people that encountered Jesus that day are, of course, his disciples. Now, they don't quite understand what's going on, but they put their clothes on the back of the little donkey in order to make a saddle for him. These 12 men are his best friends. They've followed him through good times and bad. They got to know him when he was just a nobody, really, and they followed him around listening to his teaching and hanging out with him before he became really popular. Last week at church, we were hearing about Jesus' miracles, the time when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Well, after that, word really got out about him, and he became extremely popular, as you might imagine. These close friends must have rather enjoyed being with Jesus as the crowd welcomed them so warmly. It's good to see our close friends succeed, isn't it? Perhaps they thought life was rather looking up. So they helped Jesus by finding the donkey and they brought it along so that he could ride through the crowd. In a sense, by their actions, these ordinary men helped other ordinary people to see who Jesus is. By their words and their deeds, these followers of Jesus showed who Jesus is to those who did not yet know him. As Felicity grows up, she will look to the people around her to see what it looks like to be a Christian. And by honouring Jesus in everything we do and think and say, we can show her what being a Christian really looks like. It's not just down to her family, it's down to all of us, her church family. We hope that one day she will decide for herself to follow him. Now, whether we spend our days at school or in an office, whether we work in a shop or a hairdresser's, whether we're a top executive or we're the most humble part-time colleague, whether we're working or having fun, the way we behave can show people who Jesus is. It's an amazing privilege and an awesome responsibility. I wonder how you feel you're doing 
at reflecting Jesus to those around you? Do you think your classmates see Jesus when they watch you? How about your office colleagues? Or, and here's the really tough one, what about your family? Not sure I'd get a hugely good reference from my family every day. Family's difficult, isn't it? Wherever we are and whatever we're doing, we can be showing who Jesus is. Our final encounter for this morning is the crowd. The people in this enormous, varied crowd recognised something extraordinary in Jesus that day. But they quite clearly didn't really understand him either. I guess it's not at all surprising that a nation under occupation of a cruel and brutal foreign regime longed for a saviour, a king to deliver them. They cry out with the language that they treasure from the Psalms, Hosanna to the son of David. Now when we hear that today, we simply hear a cry of joy and welcome to a king. And there is that in it as people strew their cloaks on their f- and at the feet. Our own Sir Walter Raleigh reminds us that it's a symbol of complete devotion to your monarch, a visual picture of an individual's determination to hold nothing back in the service of their king or queen. But if that's all we think the word means, then we have lost something in the translation. Because it's a word of greeting that is essentially a heart cry for deliverance. Both in Psalm 118 and here, this word is saying, save us now. It's the desperate cry of an oppressed people to their saviour and king. However, they were so clear about how they expected God to answer their prayers for salvation that they didn't see it when he did do so in a way that they weren't expecting. They knew Jesus was a king, but they didn't know exactly what kind of king he was. I expect they would have been rather delighted with war horses and a military um, escort. They wanted a warrior to free them from Roman servitude and they were so wrapped up in that, in what they thought the answer would look like, that they didn't understand the nature of Jesus' kingship or his kingdom. The donkey would definitely have been a surprise. This story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is the climax of his pilgrimage and also of the story of the relationship between God and his people Israel. However, Israel's vision of what it wanted was fundamentally different from what God was offering. Somehow, there was a mismatch between their expectations and God's answer. It was to be a tale of the unexpected, really. The Jewish people had hoped that the Messiah would bring an end to the Roman occupation. Now, awful though that was, it was just a surface evil. Jesus came to deal with the root of the problem. God's plan, you see, was so much bigger than they had even dreamed of. 
The Jews simply wanted God to free them from the tyranny of Rome. Before we leap to criticize their short-sightedness, let's examine our own hearts for a moment, because I'm not sure we're any different. Don't we long to see a world free from injustice, suffering, and pain? The world is full of war and brokenness, and we all have our own private sources of pain. Perhaps it's an illness or a broken relationship that brings us sadness. Perhaps it's a struggle against a weakness that no one else knows about. God wanted to offer healing and hope, eternal salvation to all men and women everywhere, freedom on a completely different level. The people of, Israel, of Israel's motives for welcoming Jesus were very self-centered. They just wanted to be rescued. We're all quite good at turning to God with our requests when life isn't going too well. In desperate times, the most surprising people find a need to talk to God. And in moments of tragedy, churches are full of people turning to God to try and make sense of things. God is ever gracious. He doesn't wait for our motives to be pure before he answers our prayers. He does, however, answer them in his own way, in a way that brings about the deepest good for our lives. When we invite Jesus to step in and help us, he answers more thoroughly than we could ever possibly have dreamed. Palm Sunday is a celebration of joy, a welcome for a king. In this tale of the unexpected, Jesus, our servant king, nears the end of his earthly journey, and he offers a last invitation to people to open their hearts to him. Unlike conquering armies who demand reluctant submission, Jesus asks only for our voluntary surrender. He comes to love, not to destroy, to heal and to help rather than condemn. The city is full to the brim of Jews from all over the world come to offer a Passover sacrifice. It's an important moment in the Jewish calendar. But it marks a moment of eternal significance when Jesus, Son of the Almighty God, chooses to give himself as the ultimate sacrifice, the answer to all of our deepest needs. Not just for the Jewish people, but for the whole world. No one is excluded. He offers us this opportunity to open our hearts to him, to declare him our servant king. It's the beginning of the end of the story of Jesus' earthly life, the beginning of Holy Week, when we consider the costly journey that Jesus took for our sakes, not in splendor, with great dignity, but humility and grace on a humble donkey. As we sing our next song, let's take a moment to invite Jesus to be king of our hearts and our lives this Easter. Let's live to serve others in his name, showing people 
who Jesus really is in our words and our deeds and in our everyday lives, worshipping him. Amen.